Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. Thank you guys for being with us. Okay, so we are in week six, going through the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters. And as we've gone through this, by way of reminder, if this is your first time here, there's kind of five themes that we're talking about. Number one, he said, consider your ways. So what had happened was they had uh, sown much, but they haven't harvested much. In many ways, they're working harder, not smarter. Um, They are kind of taking matters into their own hands And they have their own set of priorities and their own set of preferences. And they're wondering why they're doing all this labor but not necessarily getting all the results. And so he says, consider your ways. But then he says, listen, build the house. Because, see, they had been in exile for over 70 years. They come back. And the most natural thing that happens when you come back from being, you know, in exile is you want to establish your home. You want to establish stability for yourself. And so they were prioritizing their home instead of God's home. And he says, wait a second, let's get first things first and build my house. And as you build my house and let that be the center of everything, then we'll build your house. And then third, a lot of times once you get a little reprimand from the Lord or someone, you know, when he says, consider your ways, And, you know, there's this exhortation or there's this word that's a bit strong. You need a little reassurance. And so, you know, after there's been a little bit of reproof, he comes with reassurance. He says, I am with you. Because, you know, you ever heard people use that term um, constructive criticism? Anybody ever feel real good after constructive criticism? (laughs) It's still just kind of criticism, just dressed up a little bit. I don't think this was criticism. This was a loving father speaking truth in love. Criticism tears down a person. Truth and love builds a person up. And he's just trying to help them see their ways, correct their ways, build his house. And he says, I am with you. And then the fourth theme is he comes in and he says, work. And guess what? Even though what we do is spiritual, that doesn't mean there's not work involved. And I want to encourage you not to have a negative viewpoint on work. Work existed before the fall of man. It was after the fall of man that work's just going to have the sweat of the brow associated with it. But one of the ways that we express who our God is, is that we were to take dominion over this earth, and we are to be people who do all things in excellence unto the Lord, and we need to quit creating categories between secular and spiritual. See, we aren't just spiritual beings. We are human beings. Excuse me. We aren't just human beings. We are spiritual beings who have a human experience. Get the priority right. You are first and foremost a son or a daughter of the king. That should define who you are and everything you do. And then the fifth thing 
he comes to Zerubbabel and he says, I will make you like a signet ring. And he's talking about the king's ring that was a sign of his authority. It was a sign of his approval and that he would seal things with the king's ring. And he says, that's who you are to me. So that brings us to Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Now, that's quite the introduction. You know, I I think when um, you kind of have that leading statement, it means, listen up, pay attention. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, now, whenever God says in a little while, it probably means a lot longer than you want, okay? You know, his perspective in a little while, in our perspective a little while, in my experience are radically different, okay? But he says, in a little while, I will once more, he's done this before, shake the heavens and the earth. We're going to talk about what that means. (coughs) In the the sea and the dry land. Verse 7, I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. Now, a lot of times, they don't know what's desired, but the desire still lives in their heart. They, They don't fully understand that desire But there is a desire there, and and, and frequently what we do is we try to meet that desire with substitutes. We try to meet that desire with illegitimate means instead of the legitimate way that God wants. He says, um, what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. Let that sit. What's the longing of your heart in that moment? I will fill this house with glory. We've been missing the glory a long time. Tragically, there's a lot of churches. We've all been a part of them at different points in time. It breaks my heart to even say this. I don't want to in any way be critical. This is a consider your ways kind of statement. The first temple was glorious on the outside. And the first temple also had some glory on the inside. But that second temple was less glorious on the outside. And people were worried because it didn't have the same amount of silver and gold. That God was missing. Just, I want your heart to desire something. I will fill this house with glory. We are going to do everything we can, because I do believe it also honors the Lord, for his house to be done in excellence. If you come over to the Conley's house, we clean it for you. We do everything we can to make our house the most presentable for our guests, to give our guests our best. 
And I believe God wants the same to be with his house. But if we have the most glorious, beautiful house imaginable, but the Spirit of God is not alive in there, it is an empty house. So I'm not asking you to think something right now. I'm asking you to feel something. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come in. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now watch what he says. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord God Almighty. And and just hang on to that because I'm going to explain that in just for a moment. It seems almost like a contradiction to what I'm saying, but just kind of put a bookmark there. Verse 9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And notice the repeat, says the Lord God Almighty. You think he's trying to get his point across here? And then watch this. And in this place, I will grant peace. Declares the Lord God Almighty. Are we a nation of peace right now? No. Are we a world full of peace right now? No. Are our marriages full of peace right now? No. Are our middle schoolers and teenagers full of peace right now? Are our young adults thriving in peace right now? The word speaks... This was written in five, or this occurred, this event occurred in 520 BC. Look at the relevance today. And so when he says, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. See, what's happening here is Haggai is encouraging them with the hope of future glory. And in a moment, I'm going to kind of define this word glory. And he's encouraging them with a victory over their enemies. Have you ever noticed throughout the history of Israel, they're always the underdog. Someone's always coming after them. They're always needing God to defend them and to give them victory. But in this, when he says, In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. I believe this. Many scholars believe this. This is Haggai's first prophecy of the Messiah. This is his speaking to the arrival of Christ. And he says, I will shake all the nations. Do nations like to be shaken? Mm -mm. See, Nations like to have control and comfort. In the moment someone comes on the scene that threatens their control, well, that threatens their ability to define what their comfort is. And so this may sound like a good thing if you're Israel, that all of a sudden God's going to come and fight for you, but when he's going to shake the other nations, uh, that's going to cause quite a disruption. A significant upheaval. And he says, what's desired by all nations will come. So there is a desire put in the heart of man, put in the heart of woman, 
Um, but oftentimes there's competition over this desire about what's the one true desire and how that's going to be met. And he says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now let me give you some context to understand the purpose of the temple throughout history. The temple was needed, listen to this, so that sacrifice could be offered once again. There was a sacrifice that's a blood sacrifice. And in that blood sacrifice, sin was atoned for. There was a covering of the sin by the blood. God's presence was secured. God's blessing was bestowed and God's peace was experienced. That was the purpose of the temple. And ultimately what you see is the Lord Jesus comes and fulfills all of that. And see, when he comes into the temple, he fulfills the role of the high priest. He takes the place of the Passover lamb, the atonement sacrifice. And so when he says, I will fill this house with glory, this is what we do, and it's what the Jewish people probably did in that day and time. When we hear a statement like that, we are like, you come rescue me right now. Come help me right now. And we live more so than that day and age. We live in the microwave age where everything can be done in 30 seconds or less. We get frustrated if it takes longer than a minute. But I told you that these events occurred in 520 B.C. Well, see, Haggai and Zechariah both predict the coming of the Messiah. But what happens after that? In 468, Esther, the book of Esther, tells about the Jews still being in Persia. That's 468. 458, Ezra leads another group of Jews to Jerusalem and reforms true worship. In 433, Nehemiah comes to uh, Jerusalem from Persia to rebuild the walls of the city. And then in 432, Malachi predicts the coming of John the Baptist. And then there's 400 years of silence. 400 years without a prophet. Can you imagine, you know how quickly our hearts turn aside when we have a prophet. Can you imagine how quickly their hearts turn aside without the voice of God in this 400-year window? What happened in that 400-year window? In 334, Alexander the Great had his conquest that was predicted 300 years before in Daniel chapter 8. His kingdom was divided into four parts, two which impacted Israel. And the Greek Egyptians dominated Israel until 198 B.C. And then there was the defiling of the temple. That was predicted in Daniel chapter 8 as well. And then in 163, after the defiling of the temple, there was the Maccabean revolt. And Jewish independence was reestablished for 100 years. But then in 63 B.C., the Romans interfere with Jewish affairs. And Pompey enters the Holy of Holies and desecrates the temple. 
In 37 BC, King Herod takes over and he actually rebuilds the temple to be more glorious than Solomon's temple. He expands the footprint of the temple. He puts all the silvers and riches back in the temple. And then Jesus shows up in 4 BC. What's the significance of all of that? In a little while, I'll shake the heavens. In a little while, I'll shake the earth. And what happened over the next 500 years paves the way for the fulfillment of I will fill this house with glory with the Messiah. See, if you go back into verse 8, it says, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. I mean, what's he talking about? Remember, he's talking about glory here, and he's not talking about the glory being the silver and gold. He's not all of a sudden, God didn't run out of silver and gold, okay? So watch this. The temple has less gold, but it'll have more glory. And so he says, the glory of this house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. And that word glory, if you look at it in all of its various definitions, one of those definitions is the word abundance. The abundance of his splendor, the abundance of his honor, the abundance of his goodness will be greater in this house than the former house. The abundance of his reputation, the abundance of reverence, the abundance, and here's another word for glory, divine reign. The abundance of his divine reign will be greater in this house than the former house. See, the glory is so much more than silver and gold, so much more than external grandeur. See, the glory, it invokes a national identity for the Jews, but it was greater than that. The glory invokes a political independence for the Jews, but it was greater than that. See, they kept wanting just what was in the present tense, not understanding that there is a kingdom that exists in heaven that must come to earth and be established. See, every kingdom has a king, and every king has a rule and reign, and he has come to establish his rule and reign on earth through the people of God. So he says this glory will be greater, and there's a part, if I'm just real honest with you, as I study this, I'm like, oh, that took a long time. Like, I was hoping you'd like, Tell me the glory happened, you know, like immediately, right? Like, I mean, but I, I believe there's good news for us. I believe he is never passive in the waiting. I believe he's working behind the scenes. I believe he's working on us so that when the glory comes into fullness, we'll be good stewards of the glory. See, initially, the glory wasn't greater. Initially, watch this. Now, this is mm, the Holy of Holies in the second temple. It was empty. See, in the first temple, the best we can tell both from Scripture and from history and tradition 
The first temple contained the Ark of the Covenant, but it had gone missing. The first temple in the Ark of the Covenant contained the two tablets and we think also the broken tablets. I find that fascinating. The first temple in the the Ark of the Covenant, it contained the bottle of manna that they were supposed to remember. The flask of anointing oil in the chest of the Philistines that was given to them in Aaron's rod, but all of that was missing in the second temple. Now listen, the most important and sanctified room, the Holy of Holies, in the second temple was empty. And I believe that emptiness cried out that the Shekinah glory was missing. It breaks my heart. That the Shekinah glory is largely missing in most churches. It breaks my heart that in the midst of a shaking, I think America is in the midst of a shaking, that people don't trust the church and haven't turned to the church. See, there was a previous shaking in 9-11 and we turned to the church for about 60 seconds. And maybe there wasn't enough glory there to keep them. It breaks my heart that people can come to church and not even expect to encounter the supernatural. It breaks my heart that, that when we come here, and it, hopefully you'll notice this, like whenever things do happen that are a little bit supernatural or miraculous, I come behind and I feel the need to explain that he's supernatural. Because we're so accustomed to not seeing the supernatural. We're freaked out by the supernatural. We think it's weird. It's weird that something happens bigger than you. It's weird that you can't maintain control in the presence of God. It's weird that we can't sit here, be quiet, read our hymnal, gain a little intellectual you know, improvement, and go out and do none of it and expect ourselves to be better. That's weird. I don't want to be just an improved version of your last church experience. Where's the glory? See, it blesses my heart that when we're singing Waymaker, a group of people went over here to pray for Hadley, praying that God would make a way. Because honest to God truth, I've led and been a part of churches where we would give up praying for Hadley and we would just pray for Hadley's parents to have a spirit of endurance and have a sense of peace. And we would never really admit that out loud because it doesn't sound very spiritual, but it's really kind of what we had allowed ourselves by default to believe. As long as life is pretty good, you don't pray for miracles. But when you find yourself in the foxhole, you pray for miracles. When you find your play, yourself in a place of hardship, Difficulty, 
oppression, injustice, you pray for miracles. So let me ask you this question. As people walk in, what's our latest growth strategy? I used to have them. I had all kinds of growth strategies. My greatest growth strategy is for you to become the temple. The spirit of the living God dwelling within you. For the glory of God to be so manifested in you that people are irresistibly drawn to you and that you become a way maker. You know, what's the latest growth strategy? I just want to see testimonies. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so the, 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 what needs to happen, the church being a little bit more excellent, is it going to matter? Uh, God's people being a little nicer, though it would help, is it going to matter? God's people being a little bit more generous, it needs to happen, but these little good works aren't going to matter. People need to experience the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You need to be so holy, set apart, unique, radically different, that you are unexplainable. Where's the Holy Spirit? Listen, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the Former house, says the Lord Almighty. So let me show you what some of that glory looked like. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If he's full of grace and truth, you need to be full of grace and truth. I'm going to skip down, verse 16. From, for from his fullness... We have all received. We've received from his fullness. The word glory also means abundance. And what did we receive? Grace upon grace. The next time you get angry, hey, we all do it. Ask for the fullness of grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. All right, then he says he's going to shake the earth and the heavens, right? In John chapter 12, verse 28 through 32, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. See, Jesus wanted to glorify the Father's name, bring Glory to the Father's name, bring splendor to the Father's name, bring honor to the Father's name, bring reverence to the Father's name, bring abundance to the Father's name. So why don't you also pray, Father, he's your Father too, glorify your name through me. Then a voice came from heaven. Watch this. I, I mean, how cool. Talk about, God the Father is so awesome at affirming the Son. He's so awesome at speaking words of life to his son. He says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now watch. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. 
Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He came and his arrival shook the heavens and the earth. His arrival shook all the nations. Jesus' Jesus' arrival revealed a greater glory. Luke chapter 2, verse um, 27. And Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Watch this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your healing. Now watch what he says. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now here's the description of Jesus. A light of revelation to the Gentiles the non-Jews, the outsiders, a light of revelation and for glory to your people, Israel. See, this greater glory is coming to the second temple. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 42. I won't read it all. I'll kind of hit certain places here. So now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And he was 12 years old. And they went up according to the custom. But after they go, all right, they leave in their journey and back home. And it says, but then they began to search for him, Jesus, among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. (laughs) I I find this one of the most humorous passages of Scripture in all of Scripture. Talking about a panic attack. You've lost the Messiah, right? (laughs) I mean, talking about a parent screw-up, you know? (laughs) For three days, what level of distress are they in? After three days, they found him in the temple. See, the latter glory just came. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them. Do you always talk first or listen first? The author of life, the teacher, listened. And asking them questions, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now watch this. Then motherhood kicks in. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, no doubt, right? And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why is worship optional for so many people? You must be in your father's house. Why would you want to be anywhere else? Why is personal slash private worship so optional? See, private worship precedes public worship, 
And when we've worshipped all week long, then we enter into public worship to celebrate and to praise, not just to survive. But watch this. A lot of times we like to have these images of God where, you know, he's only warm and friendly and nice and polite. But in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So what they're doing is they are taking advantage of people, charging exorbitant prices for the sacrifice and making a whip of cords. Who did that? Brad just said the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace made a whip of cords. He's strong and he's courageous. Why did he do it? Watch this. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You're his son and daughter. Does zeal for his house consume you? Not just the physical house. Does zeal for the glory of God? Does zeal for the people of God? Does zeal for your brothers and sisters consume you? Mark 13, 1 and 2. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, (laughs) before the Holy Spirit, the disciples were typically more knuckleheads than anything, okay? I mean, if you want to do a case study of like stupid statements, you could find it. They said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Like, what have you been following me for three years or not? And Jesus said to them, now the statement he's about to make in their context of Judaism, in their context of everything they've ever experienced about the temple, it's impossible for them to understand what he just said. He said, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. They could not comprehend the promised Messiah saying that. See, he's supposed to enter the temple and immediately fulfill his divine reign on earth. But see, that's going to happen through the second coming of Christ. And so that tells us about the first temple and about the second temple, but there's a third temple, you and me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, all the splendor of the silver and gold. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. You are beautiful. You are precious in his sight. 
You are wonderfully and fearfully made. You radiate the image of God. You are beautiful. You are valuable. You, in your eyes, and the sparkle of your eyes, and in your smile, you radiate Christ. Do you not know? See, the enemy's trying to constantly attack who you are, destroy who you are. Do you not know who you are? You are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, remember the Jesus that made the cord of whips? God will destroy him. He can be love and justice at the same time. Why? Why? For God's temple is holy. It's set apart. It's unique. It's radically different. And you are that temple. You have been set apart. You are unique. You are radically different. So God shook the heavens and the earth at Mount Sinai But guess what? He shook the heavens and the earth at Mount Calvary too. See, the earth shook, the sun was darkened, the idols were destroyed, and the kingdoms were divided. (laughs) The shaking of the nations is necessary in order to establish what cannot be shaken. But when you build your own little house before his house, you're always overprotective of your house because you're afraid it's going to be shaken. But when you build on his rock in his foundation instead of your foundation, it will not be shaken. We're coming to a close. Stay with me for just a moment. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So see, Zerubbabel's temple was eventually fulfilled with God's Son. And your temple is filled with God's Spirit. And then last verse, And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. See, you will receive peace in your soul because paid in full. That's why you have peace, paid in full. You have forgiveness and freedom. You have reconciliation and restoration. That's why you have peace. You have the peace of promises made and promises kept. You have the peace of receiving his love, but you have the peace of giving his love. You have the peace of unity, truly being one with God and one with man. God gives us the Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. You've heard me say this. You've heard others say this. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of a person. So let's close with Hebrews 12.25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. I pray today you hear the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God, not Chris Conley. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, 
much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. And at that time, his voice shook the earth. There's the shaking again. But now he has promised, listen to this, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, watch, that is things that have been made. Now here's your your responsibility. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So are you grateful? Number two, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all for our God is a consuming fire. So here's three ways to respond. Do not refuse him. Whatever he's saying today, I believe in conviction, not guilt. Convictions from the Holy Spirit, guilt's not. I believe in conviction and discipline, that's from the Holy Spirit. Guilt and shame, that's not. Convictions like a warning light on your dashboard saying, hey, check engine light. It's for your good. Don't refuse him who's speaking. If you've got some conviction, trust the Spirit of God is convicting so that you'll confess. And confess is just agreeing with God about your sin. But number two, he says, be grateful. Why? You've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You will have trouble in this world, but I have overcome. You will have trouble, but I've overcome. See, you're going to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But number three, offer to God acceptable worship with reverence, with reverence and awe. Why? Our God is a consuming fire. So we close Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, because you're the temple, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. So two responses today. There may be some people here today that you've known about God and he stayed right here in your head, but it's never transferred to your heart. And you might need to trust him as your Lord and Savior for the first time. And then there's other people here today that we ask God to kind of be our helper. And accidentally, we seek first our kingdom instead of his kingdom. And accidentally, we try to steal a little bit of the glory. And we just want him to help us versus your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but I've been crucified with Christ. It's Christ who lives in. 
And so I want to invite you today to understand what it means to be the temple of the living God. And for you to say, I'm going to offer acceptable worship to him with reverence and honor and glory. And you might need to just day say, God, I'm returning to you to make first things first. First things first. So I'm gonna pray and give people opportunity to trust Christ and then we're gonna have a response time. And in that response time, there's people here available to pray with you. Sometimes you may not have the faith to really believe that your mountain can move, but you can borrow our faith. Sometimes you need to participate with us and allow that merger to happen between your faith and our faith and the miracle to be released. When you come to receive you're not coming because something's wrong. You're coming because something's right. And what's right is you heard the voice of God and you're responding. Would you pray with me? If there's anyone here who is uncertain about trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, that maybe you've tried this before and in kind of layman's words, you just think, it didn't work. I don't know. Then it's just a simple prayer. Just say, God, forgive me of my sin. That word means we've missed the mark. We're imperfect. God, forgive me my sin. Second, God, I repent of my sin. It just means I changed my mind. I don't want to live that way any longer. And then third, you just say, I place my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'd encourage you to say it this way. Save me, Lord Jesus. Save me, Lord Jesus. Save me, Lord Jesus. And when you say that, your spirit goes from dead to alive. Something's awakened inside of you and you just desire to say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.